Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Cece Reed and Cozine Welsh Jr. Cece Reed is a theater artist, spoken word performer, youth worker, and activist fueled by connection and community. As a storyteller, she uses theater to activate awareness of social injustices, build community, and encourage herself and others to bring out their internal power. She recently performed in Ubiquitous Theater's production of Kissing the Witch, Old Tales, and New Skins, a play by Emma Donahue. She's originally from Maryland and studied theater at the University of Maryland College Park. Although she's been residing in Ann Arbor, Michigan, she'll soon be returning to Maryland, where she will turn to performing, growing, and learning after traveling to Brazil for a short visit. Originally from Detroit, Cozine Welsh Jr. calls Ann Arbor, Michigan home now. Cozine was incarcerated at the age of 17. Blessed with an able and supportive family, he was able to attain his degree in business administration. Since re-entering the community, he has continued his education and is currently pursuing an MFA degree. He's been a regular contributor to the Michigan Review of Prisoner Creative Writing Cozine has been featured in six of the seven volumes and penned the introduction to volume four. He toggles between being a guitar player who writes and a writer who plays guitar. Cece and Cozine have worked together at the University of Michigan's Prison Creative Arts Project, PCAP. The project encompasses both academic and volunteer-based programs at the University of Michigan and includes U of M students, faculty and staff, community volunteers, youth and adults in detention and treatment programs, and formerly incarcerated adults. PCAP is a member of Humanize the Numbers, an ongoing project that utilizes collaborative art practices public installations, and cross-disciplinary workshops to connect incarcerated men and women in Michigan prisons with hundreds of students, artists, researchers, and activists in Southeast Michigan. Cece and Cozine, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you both today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Michelle, for having us. I am doing well as well. Thank you so much. 
Okay, that's good. Now, you know, Cece, I came up to Ann Arbor for a program, and there you were. I mean, in effect, another friend of us had sent off a saying, you should come up here for that. And I thought it was a really great program that you put together. Can you talk a little bit about, about that program, how you got involved in it, and how did you end up in that role up there in Ann Arbor? Yes, so I moved to Ann Arbor in August, a month after turning 25. Um, A lot of my friends um, from the East Coast were very curious and confused of why I was moving to the Midwest, and I moved primarily to work uh, for the current job that I have. I'm the executive intern of Arts Engine, which is an arts interdisciplinary office on the North Campus of University of Michigan. And within Arts Engine is also an international alliance of research universities called the Alliance of Arts at Research Universities, shorthand called A2RU. So both of the organizations function as an office that champions arts integration, arts research, arts practice for both faculty and staff and students. And I, as someone who attended one of their annual summits, when I was a senior in undergrad, I definitely wanted the experience to work within an office and gain more skills as an arts administrator, as an arts leader, um, and grow my skills as an artist. So that was what, what brought me here to Ann Arbor. And moving here was a, a personal challenge because Ann Arbor is a city that is heavily uh, populated by those who are white, and I'm from a mm-hmm. very multicultural community in Maryland. Uh, Wheaton, Maryland is very uh, diverse with very specific ethnicities from Asia, from Latin America, Central America. And so moving here was, I was definitely out of my comfort zone and my mental health was challenged. And I wanted to create a space that I needed. And I wanted to create a, a space that reminded me of home. And that space looked like black and queer people because um, that is the, the, the community that I belo- communities that I belong to. And so I created an event with uh, the support of many uh, wonderful people, the support of the National Council of Negro Women, um, and the support of the Spectrum Center, which is uh, University of Michigan's LGBTQ um, center on campus with support from, uh, the, from MESA, which is uh, the multicultural office at University of Michigan. So with all of that community support, I was able to create an event to honor and remember and reflect um, on the lives of black queer peoples. And so we created an event that had presentations and videos and readings of work by people who are black and queer to really highlight that we have contributed to, to society, to academia, to life. We have, we've been here, we've been present, whether it be in the shadows or in the closet. Because of survival, we've been here and we are still here and we will be here in the future. So that is the event that I needed for myself in this new uh, Midwestern setting. And I was welcomed with much support from the people I planned with and support from you and the other folks who attended the event. And it was really a space for love and remembrance and liberation and collective liberation. And so that was the way that you and I, our paths, um, got intersected. And I'm very grateful that I planned it and that we are all here now doing this call together Mm -hmm. and reflect together. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny because, you know, you were showing a lot of the videos and I kept looking at the videos and I saw 
people that I recognized. And since then, I talked to uh, Lisa Moore, who had been one of the editors of Does Your Mama Know? And I said, you know, when I was up here at Ann Arbor, I said, here were young people, and they were showing, you know, they showed a video, and one of the things they, they flashed on was that book. Those days, she said, you know, that makes me feel good to know that, you know, students here are looking at and talking about that. And then just last week, I sat down and talked to a, Alexis Pauline Gums, who you showed a clip of her and her partner and they're in the van going around, and we both got a little chuckle out of that. <laughs> you know, um, there are two things that I liked that I was, you know, you put this together, but you sort of took a back seat to letting everyone else step up and do it. And the young man who was the MC, I mean, it was like you two flowed so well together. I thought, you know, you were a longtime friend. You're like, no, you know. It just sort of came together, and often it's, it's, it's not easy for people to, like, pull to something together, and also you said it was something that you needed, but then to step back and let others do their thing. Yes, that, I really appreciate you reflecting that to me because even though I've done theater most of my life, and theater by nature is a collaborative art form, even when you see uh, a solo performance, theater only functions when you have many folks in the room with different skill sets. You've got your lighting designer, your set designer, costumes, you have the playwright, you have the performers, you have all these different personalities and skill sets. So I grew up in a collaborative um, art form. I grew up um, being raised by two parents who instilled the community values of the African diaspora within me as an African-American, never letting me forget those ancestral roots of community, of, of ritual, of practice, of coming together, whether it be in the church or whether it be in the, uh, the, the ritual for a deity. That is, that is definitely in my DNA. And so when I was planning this event, you know, my personality, I have a very um, dominant and, and leadership-focused personality, and I'm learning how to take the step back. And so at some point in the planning process, I had to trust the folks that, you know, were, were willing and, and excited to be a part of this, and I had to make the, you know, the choice to trust. And so Nicholas Powell, um, who is a graduate student here at the University of Michigan, was excited about being a part of it, also had a theater background, had a hosting background, and said he wanted to, wanted to facilitate and I knew I already had enough, a lot on my plate, and so that was definitely a moment where I decided to trust. And so that that decision to trust was definitely something, I guess, that you saw and experienced at the event, because even though we had met <laughs> that first day at our event, um, I decided to trust, you know, his approach and his attention, intention and his heart. And I, I'm continually learning, especially as a young person, that how important it is to, you know, to have the vision and to say yes to myself and to also mm-hmm. trust that other people will bring their full selves as much as they can to it. Um, so that's definitely something I'm learning as, a, as an activist, artist, as a, as a human being, really. So thank you for reflecting that back to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I'll tell you, um, one of the things how you got roped in, Cozy, because afterwards, you know, like, I, I'm always, like, listening to people and people who are doing things. And I was like, wow, you know, this Cece. I mean, she's really interesting. Right. And so I said, you know, I started to talk to her. And I said, you know, I'd love to, to you know, 
get to know you better and, and talk to you about what you do. And she started to talk about uh, the the PCAP, PCAP. Yeah. and she was like, yeah, yeah. she said, but she said, but the, uh, she said, if I do it, that she had to do it with you, Cozine, because uh-huh. you had worked together so closely on it. How did you come to be in Ann Arbor? Oh, well, the short of it is, um, it's the short, that's strictly a turn of phrase that would not be short. <laughs> <laughs> um, for about 10 years, about, it was about 2007 or 2008 while I was still incarcerated, I came across a flyer for the Prisoner Crave Arts Project's very new uh, literary review that they were going to publish. And it was going to take the best writing of Michigan prisoners and actually publish a book give them real author credits. We weren't getting, we would not get paid. It was not like, you know, a big publisher in that sense at the time, but it would allow us to be heard. And, you know, I thought that was a really big deal because up until that point, I had only written for family and friends. And the irony behind that is a lot of what you experience has to do with your conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. So you can have family and friends who love you, as far as their capacity to love can, but they may not understand what you do artistically. Not because they don't think it's important, but because they don't understand how to gauge its importance. So I would write poetry and my family would like it, but they would not understand it, right? Because they had mm-hmm. available or able to grow up in an environment where poetry was given its due. So I sent my work into PCAP for the literary review and I was accepted in. And so then I, the next year came around, now I feel like I had a reason to write outside of, you know, affection for loved ones. And I mm-hmm. submitted the second time. And here we are ten times later, and I've been accepted every consecutive year. So that had allowed me to build relations and, com- and communicate with people at the University of Michigan, namely the editor, Philip Christman, and the, the associate director and professor, uh, Ashley Lucas, who actually is the director of PCAP through correspondence, and through that, there became this mentorship, if you, could, if you might want to say. So mm-hmm. uh, my release last year, you know, they were like, look, you should come to Ann Arbor and continue your schooling. You know, they, Michigan has one of the best uh, MFA and poetry programs in the nation, and you have the, you have the capacity to be a uni- U of M student, and so you should come make that a goal. And so I came home because my mother had, like, had passed like 60 days before I was released, Mm. Um, my grandfather passed shortly after that. My grandmother had passed a few months before that. So it was a lot going on upon my release. It wasn't as joyous as I had hoped it would be. After a, a, a few months, I realized that I had to put that plan in motion for those who, who love me and who are no longer here and for those who still are and who need me. Not just family members, but friends and others, even what we would call strangers, though I don't believe in strangers, but even new people you come across who need you at a moment to say or be a thing that they need to hear or see. And you come to realize that your existence isn't about you solely. It's about your impact on other people and what purpose you may serve at some point in time that they need you, as others have done for you. You know, that's kind of what the idea of this intersectionality is to some extent. We are interdependent beings, all walking intersecting paths that need and are in need of each other. Mm. Um, so I came out and I kind of, you know, I, I hit the street running, as they say. I enrolled in Washington. I'm enrolled in now because I have to get an associate's degree from Washington before I go to U of M because the associate degree I got before in business management is a specialized degree and doesn't, the credits don't transfer directly, which is fine. 
And so I started doing like how I met the wonderful CC was I got in a reentry workshop. So PCAP does these reentry workshops, which are for returning citizens like myself, to kind of give them a way to ease into the proto-social behaviors you are going to need to survive out here outside of that correctional environment. You have to reprogram. And typically we think of reprogramming as being something done clinically and has to have stages, it has to have a psychiatrist or a psychologist, which at times can be necessary, and I don't want to take away from that at all. But just as importantly is this idea that you get with people in a trusted space where you can learn more about yourself and others simultaneously. And that does so much for you as an individual moving forward away from this stigma that you have on you and that more likely than not you're going to carry for the rest of your days. But it doesn't have to be a stigma that becomes a hindrance. In fact, it can be a point of conversation that makes way for further, group, for further growth and further movement for everybody involved. Did you realize that you had a poetic voice? <sighs> That's a good question. Um, so when I was young, you know, being a young kid from Detroit and really being into music, I got into hip-hop as a young kid. And so that was my first foray into writing in any type of verse. Um, but there was also this, this joy of writing in a verse that wasn't strictly, you know, because music has to be in 4-4 four, four, or 3-4 or sometimes in the Japanese mm-hmm. limit your syllable count and things like this. But with poetry, you can play with that sense of time, that sense of delivery, you can, you can now use complex language and have it have its own rhythm that is maybe detached from the previous rhythm or the succeeding rhythm but still fits. You can't do that with music. It's, it's got some limits to it. And um, the idea, the subject matter that you tend to approach in poetry that you can't, the, the, the imagery you can create because you don't have that limit of time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and so naturally I wrote poems out of that desire and out of a desire to translate what I was feeling to those I cared about in a way I felt like my words and conversation couldn't. You know, poetry and music as, as well, but poetry especially speaks to a type of, I think a type of wiring in our brains that can not only be accessed through words that create imagery in the mind. Mm-hmm. And I like doing that. I like feeling it. And so I wanted to see, well, maybe I can do this. So at first it was just the idea of something I enjoy doing. Then thanks to PCAP, it became this thing that is something I can actually do and am in fact good at, which is something that's hard to come and realize. Even now I still struggle with it. Yeah, I talked to Tim M. West, who he's a hip-hop artist, he's a poet, um, he's an activist, he's an educator. And he was talking about, you know, like he said how some poetry can be expressed through hip-hop, but not all hip-hop is poetry, but also that when he is performing, there are some things that it it comes across on the written page is one meaning as as opposed to it, because like he was saying, like he did one poem, and when he performed it, he, there's a line in it that says like, can you hold my weight? And people took it to mean weight, as in W-E-I-G-H-T, you know, weight. Paper, it was, can you hold my weight, W-A-I-T, which is a totally different vibe that you get from this this, this line. Right. It's a whole different imagery in your mind of what it means, what you're holding, what it mm -hmm. infers. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so as you were the things like that you were finding that 
as you were talking to people or you were doing it that, that you know, there is something about when you put it on that page that you are better able to emote, get people to feel it, to, to talk about it, or to share experiences? Well, yes, because, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because there are two types of poetry, right? There is the spoken word poetry and there is the written page. Mm-hmm. And the spoken word poetry has its own approach that you have to use to create that impact. I like the written word in respect because it becomes a type of visual art as well because mm-hmm. it's about how you place your words on that page and what order you place them, right? So it creates its own inherent rhythm, but it also has a visual, as you alluded to, with the difference between weight and weight. You have to see that to get that imagery. You have to see where it's placed before the previous word and so on to kind of understand how it fits in its entire context. So, and that's something you can only do with a written word. You know, that's why the written word has always has sustained itself throughout humanity, I believe. There's something that the written word can convey and only can be conveyed by the written word. Hmm. But it all carries on into about what the word means. Um, sometimes, you know, and I know that you said that you started, you were doing it while you were incarcerated and you were doing all that. And, you know, I had talked with someone who was saying, like, sometimes that there were certain things that they needed that kind of the rhythm, the cadence, and not only the words, but the rhythm and the cadence expressed maybe a frustration, a rage, an emotion that they were feeling. And did you find that, and as you were writing in those early stages, did some of your readers come back to you and say, like, man, you got it. I mean, you, you, that's what I was feeling that day. Yeah, that, that did happen. And that's the, those are the experiences that make you think, well, maybe I am a writer. Because mm-hmm. you realize that what you're doing has an impact for yourself and for others. That you are, commu- you know, the, the hardest part I find with poetry is this, and it's funny, I've written poems about it, is this idea of taking this thing that has no substance in the way that we typically think about it and giving it to someone, putting form and matter and vocal and sound to it so they can communicate this thing that is beyond those, right? That's the mm-hmm. struggle. That's the point. And so when someone says, man, yeah, man, I felt that. I could be talking about, like I wrote this one piece where I was talking about the idea of being in a restaurant with high society types and feeling uncomfortable, feeling like chum, like, like shark bait. Mm. But when I, when I read that, when a person I know heard that piece, they immediately took it upon their own experiences, right. and it became something else to them. But the essence of the message of being uncomfortable in a surrounding that does not feel like your own reverberated. Right. Right. That was what I was trying to find words for, and, what, and I realized I did because it had that effect. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and there's, cause there's inherent rhythm in the way we talk, the way I'm speaking now. We each have our own rhythm, our own staccato, our own slurs. So you can't get away from rhythm. Life is rhythm. Mm-hmm. And poetry, I think, just is a great way to express it. Now, Cece, did you know the poetry and then the man, or did you meet the man and then go back and read the poetry? So, so uh, as Kofi mentioned, and I'll give a, a little more of my, uh, my uh, perspective for my journey. So we met uh, during a re-entry uh, PCAP workshop. So I, when I moved here, a friend who graduated from University of Michigan, who also artist, activist, 
told me, you, know, you, you got you to do the Prison Creative Arts Project, you got to do PCAP. And so I emailed them not knowing that they have a, um, they have a training that they rec- mandate for all of the facilitators. So I missed the training in the fall, uh, but they invited me to participate in the reentry workshop. So I was like, sure, art every week. And I, at that point, I had no friends. I was very lonely. I did not have artistic outlets. I was, my mental health was really lagging because I needed it. I was sitting at a desk every day, and that was the first time I'd been working this full-time desk job. And so I needed PCAP more than I realized. And so I went to this reentry workshop. So I met, I guess I met, I guess I did it simultaneously. You know, I met Cozine, but getting to know him was through the art. It was right. through, because we, right. it's two hours every week, so I'm getting to know him a little little bit by little bit with the check-ins and with the games. Uh-huh. And then we're also creating art every week together. So it really was, I mean, pretty beautiful, this simultaneous, you know, hearing his written work or seeing his visual work, because the workshop uh, was we used different art forms. We used visual, we sometimes incorporated music, um, creative writing, there were theater games, so we it, this workshop uh, pulled on different things. Why did, your, why did your friends say that you needed to be a part of this? Um, was it just so to get I, you out from behind the desk? or I mean, why did they, they feel that that's what you needed to do? So I yeah. met, and I, lo- I love giving them a shout-out. I met Brian Garcia, a wonderful human being. I met them at, um, so my job, so my job, the Arts Alliance portion of my office, they host um, student summits every year and um, offer to the students who go to the 43 universities that are across the country. So every year, students from across the country gather for three days to explore arts interdisciplinary collaboration and, and come up with some sort of solution to a, to a problem that they want to address. So I went to one in 2015 at Virginia Commonwealth University, and I asked, um, I asked to attend the 2016 summit, which was hosted at University of Michigan. Um, and then at this is well before I was working as an executive intern, of course. They hired me as a program instructor, as sort of like a mentor because I had already done a summit. That was where I met uh, Brian Garcia. So we got to know each other, and they knew that I was interested in arts and social change and still figuring out you know, how to do that in my life as a recent graduate. So once I told, Brian was what, like the first person I told that I was going to be moving to Ann Arbor because I had no idea you know, what to expect. And so... PCAP was one of the things they knew would resonate with me just as much as it resonated with Brian during their college experience. Um, so it was, I guess, a given based on how we bonded. So we we got to know each other, and, and Brian knew that I was interested in, you know, not just performing, but art as doing something, a mechanism to create change and to create vibrations of liberation and healing for myself and other people. So because we bonded on that level, it was as soon as I came here, that was like one of the first <laughs> first, first places uh, Brian uh, encouraged me to investigate. And I, he, Brian didn't know it at the time, but I needed it because I was at a desk every day and wasn't creating art. Um, and so that was how my introduction into the Prison Creative 
arts program got to be, and I'm always every day very thankful to Brian um, mm-hmm. because it opened up this whole world of new friendships and new ways to create art and new ways to listen to people who have experiences that are not my own. And that's what participating in the reentry program really taught me. It taught me to listen mm-hmm. in a deep and meaningful and intentional way because I don't have... I didn't have any experiences of knowing someone who was incarcerated or mm-hmm. or had or even knowing anything of what that would be like, and so in that space it was listening and it was and through that listening, I found connections to my own experiences and that that's what created our final performance. We created our uh, our final performance surrounding the word reentry, so even though okay well, well, hold that thought because we're going to take our first break here. And well, I want to t- we want to get a little deeper into that. So you're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown, and today I am talking with Cece Reed and Cozine Welsh about the Prison Creative Arts Project, and we will be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Cece Reed and Cozine Welsh. You know, Cozine, you have been incarcerated. And, you know, often, I'll tell you, one of the things that I heard at one point in time, which just also was just like mind-blowing, I was at a dinner, and Melissa Harris-Perry was there, and she was talking, and she was saying that the prison complex they look at test results at the third grade and they use those to determine how many beds they think they're going to need in future prisons. And that is like sort of not even thinking about the humanity of these individuals coming up and throwing them away. And you went in, okay, you, you were a poet. You had all these things about you that were there Yes, you were in there, but it doesn't mean that, you know, it should be stomped and stifled and, you know, just killed. I mean, these are human beings, and I like how you talked about the reentry, you know, the, the reentry of you citizens. I mean, you're coming back in, you're human beings. Right. How important are programs from someone who has experienced it? the Prison Creative Arts Project, and helping people keep their humanity? I think it's paramount because of a few reasons. The main one being any psychological or psychiatric study will show you that 
the better a child starts off, the better their chance. Hence that study which checks test scores in third grade. So you have to have a foundation on which to build. Now, often you can build that foundation later on in life if you're fortunate enough to be around conditions and situations that allow that foundation to then be fostered even at a late stage. But there has to be some idea, some desire to help you build that foundation for yourself. And that is what programming like PCAP does because it shows you that you are something other than what you have been. You know, that you are not necessarily the decisions that you have made, but that you are something more than that and something that can be beyond that. But it's not something you typically hear as you're a prisoner inside, inside prison. It's a very antagonistic environment between staff and prisoner. It's designed to be that way to, main, to, to, to quell unrest, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's constantly it's an environment where it's constantly reinforcing negative aspects about yourself and not enforcing positive ones because one thing we know is that educated people tend to question authority. And when you're in a prison industrial complex, question authority sounds a lot like insurrection. And so mm-hmm. they have an idea, they have an um, impetus to maintain control at all costs. So that's how you can understand a little bit why uh, programming is so scarce. But then you have organizations who understand that you have to have something because we will come home. And the reasons we came to prison the life experiences, the reality of life will still be there. So unless you find some way to learn more about yourself and how you can deal with these situations which will arise, then you are destined to repeat a cycle. And so unless you get education in some program that gives you insight into your own behaviors and, just as importantly, the behaviors of others so that you can interact with other personalities, you're destined to fail. And so that's why these programming do such a good job because they do more than just give you an artistic outlook. They give you an out, an inlook, an inward look into who you are and who you can be and what your real potential is. They give you a foundation you've always needed. Now, you know, Cece, you said, you know, that you were going into it. I mean, you had needs, too, that you were coming from it. But, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, as you were going on and you said, oh, I'm going to be involved in a prison project, that hadn't really probably been on your radar. But what did you... What did you find out, not only about yourself as an artist, but about your humanity, your, com- your sense of community by being a part of this program? Well, it's, fun- it's funny you say that it may have not been on my radar because uh, doing, being involved with uh, PCAP for this, I guess, past academic year, it, I mean, it has been on my radar um, since my undergraduate career um early early like i guess the sophomore year i was interested in theater for social change and it was a it was a it was a natural pairing because i was doing workers rights advocacy on my campus um as an extracurricular sort of um, activity and, and job really and so learning i took a class for theater for social change so i immediately started to become interested in okay what does theater do what is this thing that i love so much what can it do in these spaces outside of the theater and my senior year i participated in a class where we went into a youth detention center to do theater workshops the it was still being formed the the, the work that class so it wasn't as structured um as I would have, uh, I guess, wanted it to be, but there was that interest, and so I, I didn't get that interest fulfilled. So moving here and learning about PCAP, 
it was like, oh, this is what I wanted to see. Can I do this? It was like, as an artist, can I do this? Am I, am I capable? Will, will I be received in a setting that I'm not familiar with? Because I've never been inside of a prison or been to, to a prison. So there was, a, 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 I guess, a fire burning of interest. Um, what, uh, what it did for me, participating in a reentry workshop, and this is this is this is what I mentioned at my Black Queer Stories event that um, inclined me to mention the Prison Creative Arts Program. It's reminded me that people are not disposable, hmm. um, and it makes me emotional because the idea that I could do something, whether intentional or unintentional, or something that I did not do, because folks. Some folks who are incarcerated, they did not do it. You know, it's the idea that I could be trapped within one decision or a few decisions in my whole life makes me emotional because I, I don't know how CC would deal with that. And so to then meet human beings who are making me laugh, who are making me think with their poetry, with their music, with their art, who are kind to me, who are saying hello, who are becoming the friends that I need when I move away from my home for the first time, cemented in my mind that I can't treat people like they are disposable because of decisions, because of circumstances. I, as Cece, have to do my work as much as I can to chip away at my own sense of privilege to remember that there are people who need, who need community, who need spaces to express, to process, as Cosine was saying, to both connect with people outside of themselves and to take a look inside of themselves. And so being in a reentry workshop and listening to folks check in and talk about their experience coming back into, I guess, re-entering back into uh, a different <laughs> part of life reminded me, um, yeah, that these are human beings at the end of the day. They're, mm -hmm. human, they're human beings, just like me. And I have a responsibility. I And I... I've known that I have a responsibility for a long, a while. I know that I have a purpose, and the purpose is connected to arts and expression and healing. And so doing this work reminded me that I have to go to the margins. And that's definitely something I've learned from the, uh, the, the language and the canon and the, the world of, of folks who are black, queer, um, people and scholars talk about moving from the margins in. There's one person in particular who speaks on that, but I don't know her name, but moving from the margins. So if there are people incarcerated who I never see, don't have to think about, but now I'm in a reentry workshop and I meet a few of them. Oh, now all of them are in my spirit and in my work. So how can I reach them as this one human being as much as possible while I'm here on this planet? How can I reach people who are physically removed from my world because they are in a physical building called a prison? How, how can I reach them? Oh, there are arts workshops that artists have done throughout time and throughout the country. That's how I can reach them, and they need it. As we hear from how, what Cozine explains about his experiences, they need it for their day-to-day for their -day survival. 
Um, I need it as well, but there's other things I can grab from. But mm-hmm. these, these particular, this particular population of people, they need it for their, to feel human again, right. to simply feel human. And if I could offer that, then that's, that's, that's my call. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was what I was, was taught from simply by listening. People really mm-hmm. understand listening. But when you start, when you really listen, allow yourself to breathe and cry and actually feel someone else's story, which is what I, I can't turn it off because I'm an empath. But when you really allow yourself to feel someone else's story within your, your bones and your body and your spirit, then it, it starts to wake something up, that, that kind of, that innate connection that we do have to each other. And that's what well, got woken up for me. Well, you know, I think that that part that listening part, how important is that? And I mean, because when you can, because often you'll have someone who is a, you know, quote unquote professional. I mean, you know, you've been involved in the arts and everything, and then you come into this different environment. But the language, the some of the the, the situations, the feelings. I mean, it's like you're on a different turf, and if you don't listen the best isn't going to come out of cozen if you had gone in there and just sort of said, well, you know, I do this and that and the other. And, and, you know, I was sharing it with someone that um, I had gone into a school and at one point in time I had done a, a, a little workshop with the kids and the teacher was like, well, how did you get them to sit down and write stuff? I said, because I just let them tell stories in their way yeah. and the teachers have been so like, you know, it has to look like this. It has to be do like that. Yeah. And basically with all their, their good intentions and education, they were stifling the voice. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and, and Cozina sounds like, you know, you had that voice. I mean, you had been again and again in the reviews. You had each time they had you in there, you had gone ahead and, you know, you were a regular contributor and, how important did you find as you were going into that? Were they listening? I mean, you know, was there that attitude that, like, yeah, we're going to bring your experience and your voice together with people who are doing it in a different form outside? Well, I think one thing that makes PCAP so great, especially as far as literary review is concerned, is that they don't, try to make you into something that you are not. They don't require you to, 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 to write in some classic meter style in order to make it into the review. They simply ask that you are able to communicate in a way that they feel. And even if you are not published, they give you feedback into what they saw in your writing that was good and what needs improvement. And I think that is one of the most important things because you get used as a prisoner and as a human being in general, but as a prisoner specifically, you get used to rejection. You get used to the idea that something you're trying to do or want to do is just not going to work, right? And that you don't have whatever it takes to excel in it. But when someone comes and says, dang, I heard that and this made me feel that way. And if you were trying to get this idea across, try doing that. It's positive feedback that says, I'm not trying to change you. I'm trying to say I understand what you were saying, and I think it might help you to do it this way. Not that I'm some source or some professional who knows what's best for you, because oftentimes they'll just ask for spelling corrections. 
Mm-hmm. Right? They'll be like, that, that's good. And all they want is to know, make sure you, you, you want that spelled this way, you want that place here. They aren't in the, in the business of changing who you are as a writer, but in the business of allowing you to become who you are as a writer. And that's very important because as a prisoner, as I said before, you are used to not being enough inherently by the nature of being a prisoner. Yeah. And so you get used to giving up and not trying because your efforts lead you nowhere. But, you know, so it's important that there's that positive reinforcement, even when you are not meeting the standards, so to speak, that allows you to further your efforts and to further and continue to find something that you can excel at. And that value is definitely embedded in the other uh, workshops. There are workshops for photography, for visual arts, for theater, for music, for creative writing. Um, And after I did a semester of of participating in the reentry program, I facilitated a theater workshop at Cotton Correctional Facility in Jackson, Michigan. And and what uh, Cozid is speaking to from the facilitator standpoint is 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 the is the approach that you know PCAP definitely trains us with. We create these improv based um, scenes uh, to present at the end. We just I just presented mine with my workshop yesterday, and we're creating a story and. It's a performance, so you know we definitely have to be heard, and there has to be some sort of you know continuity because it is storytelling. Um, but there, there's, I think PCAP does a wonderful balance of you know we're presenting this work, and it's for the public to, or the the public or whoever is able to come see the performance because the performance we have is of course in correctional facility, and so there's the idea of presenting the work and also allowing the folks in the workshop to be the main leaders and the drivers of the art form. So even though I have my degree in theater, I do, you know, I'm trained in projection and all these things, I held back on a lot of that because I wanted them to know they were driving it. Because I could easily have shifted into director mode and, you know, and, and, and it come, become this formalized professional process, but that's not the point of the workshop. Mm-hmm. Creating theater, but the real point is to allow these people to access their own skills and their tools as leaders. And so, I, you know, as a facilitator, I would choose my moment specifically to mention projection or to mention, you know, this, but allowing, you know, the folks, there were a couple folks in my workshop that had already done PCAP workshops, so they know more than me. So give me so right, so right. they have more of the lead role than I do because I'm new I'm green as they would say, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah really both in the aspects of creative writing as because you mentioned in theater allowing yeah allowing them to decide what the structure looks like and what what the creation process even even looks like and supporting that and guiding that and just giving them games and more tools to create the thing. And you tend to find this middle way, I think, which is beautiful. And you tend to start trusting the process the more you do it because you realize at the end of each process something beautiful and artistic is created. Regardless of how, what lack of formal training these individuals may have, there's something inherent in us that allows us to create this beauty without formal training. You have those who have formal training to give tips and hints on how to find that within you as opposed to telling you what it should look like. And I think that's why it continually works, and every, every performance just seems to be so beautiful. You wonder how? I think of our reentry workshop we did. We had no clue two weeks or so, two meetings prior, what we were going to do. But we just <laughs> trusted. We, honestly, we had all these ideas, but we just trusted that, well, we'll sit down and we'll just toss around ideas. And everything flowed from one to the other so organically that you would think we had planned this for three months. 
It was beautiful right. because we trusted the process right. and each other and realized that we were enjoying ourselves. Oh, yeah. So as long as we were enjoying ourselves, whatever the outcome would be would be good enough. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like some more of your CC magic. <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh, he brought uh-huh. some freak of dust on us. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was, it's funny you mentioned that because I, uh, my two co-facilitators who are both juniors here at University of Michigan, they don't have a theater background. Uh, what is sociology and what is business, and so they were diving into a world, you know, that you know they're not as familiar in, but they dove in with confidence and silliness. And one of uh, one of my co-facilitators, she's part of a sorority, and at some point she was trying to lead her sisters and doing some sort of activity, and they weren't listening or they weren't gelling together. So she just tried. She pulled out an improv game that we had played. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I, I just needed them to start having fun and loosen up. They were being a little too serious. And so at first, her sisters didn't trust her. They were like, this is not going to work. She was like, it, it works with grown men who are in prison, so it's going to work. And it worked because, you know, we have to go back to being a kid. And so, right. and I told her, we were, this is our, our last drive to Jack's, uh, excuse me, the Cotton Correctional Facility. I was like, well, theater, at the end of the day, all it is is social bonding. Well, not all it is. It's a lot of things. But it's social bonding. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's playing games, it's being silly, it's breathing together, it's listening. Don't, that's what theater at the end of the day is, so you can use it in every single setting of life. And I've seen it because when I became a RA in college, I was like, why are they using theater games to train us? I'm like, well, what does this have to do? And that's when I started to put together in my mind, like, oh, what I do in my small theater world, people keep using it in their, you know, how do I get my office, my cat, my people in the office to bond, how do I get, because at the end of the day, it's bonding, so that trust that Cozy is talking about was developed by our, our facilitators. Like, we, yeah. we, we did art every week together for two hours, and that created the trust, and that created the listening, and that created the moments of conflict and the moments of challenge and the moments, so we, yeah, moments of resolution. So we went through a growing process together. So by the time we got to create something together, we already had these tools, these kind of almost unspoken tools to listen to each other, even when it gets challenging to create something together. So that's that's the power of art. That's the power of what art can do um, for anyone. Now, both men and women can participate in the project? So uh, so the Prison Creative Arts Project operates in multiple facilities. So uh, there'll be, there are workshops in women prisons, in male prisons, in one uh, youth uh, detention center, I believe, and in a psyche, psychiatric. psychiatric center as well. Um, so there's, mul- there's multiple workshops happening simultaneously within each semester, every fall, spring semester. Oh, they say winter here. Fall, winter, semester. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there will be work, simultaneous workshops, and some of those folks are taking class with Ashley Lucas or other professors who teach the classes connected to the work, and then some of the folks are community volunteers like me. Some of the folks are students who aren't taking the classes, and there's a student organization meeting that they attend by biweekly. Um, so it's all these workshops happening simultaneously in, in the different facilities and the reentry programs. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, are you diversity? I mean, you know that there's all kinds of people in prison. Um, Do you have, is there a track like that represents people from other cultures, like a Latino community? And is there a a section that allows people who are gender fluid, LGBTQ, 
to express their voice? No, unfortunately, there isn't. And that's because the, the, the prison, the, the, the approach of prison bureaucracy is, has not moved forward like the rest of society has. Mm. So they view anyone who, any male or female prisoner that does not go along the strict lines of heterosexuality as being a danger or, or being uh, disobedient. Because you can actually, you know, let's say you have someone, let's say you have a male who is um, gender fluid at any end of the spectrum and they engage in a relationship with another man. They get punished for that. That is punishable up to being incarcerated longer for it because that can lead to misconducts which lead to you staying longer and, and getting denied a parole. Um, and the same thing goes in women's correctional facilities. Mm. And also, the same thing goes within the, inter, within the environment within prison as far as goes the prisoners. Um, there's another reason why I think it's very important to get education and this experience of other cultures into prisons because it will affect the environment. I remember one particular workshop I had there was a homosexual man who did not feel like he belonged because that same stigma was carried into the workshop, not by those coming in, but by the men who were still in there. And it wasn't until a few of us made a concentrated effort to, like, look, man, that's not okay, to include him because he was about to leave. And he, mm. contributed, he contributed to that workshop beautifully. But because he now had, he had a support cord, that he didn't have before. Like, I know the guy still. And mm-hmm. this is important, and I, I'm thankful for that experience because had it not been for that experience, I might not have gotten to know him. Mm-hmm. You see, like, this is something that, that, that bridges growth for everyone involved. It wasn't just good for him. It was good for me. Mm-hmm. But you don't know that until you actually reach out and, and step outside of this, these societal norms, as we call them, and see what it means to be a, a human of society, Right. So unfortunately, yes, you still have that to a large, it's very, it's very discriminatory in prison still. But I'm hopeful, like I am of many things, that, you know, as more people come in, as more people get to know themselves, as people get more educated, they become better people in general, and they become more compassionate people specifically. So um, the programs, what are some of the programs? I know we've talked about the reentry programs, the reentry arts program. And what are some of the other programs that, you know, what are some of the other programs that are offered? Okay, this is a three-parter. What are some of the programs that are offered? How do people who are incarcerated get, become a part of it? And then how do people like you, Cece, who want to volunteer, who have heard about it and want to be from that end, how, how does it all come together? Well, okay, so in prison, as far as the perspective from a prisoner, um, mm-hmm. you have these different um, parts of the prison bureaucracy called special activities directors. Mm-hmm. And their job at each facility, there'll be one at each facility, is to organize special activities outside of strictly academic ones or sports-related ones. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is PCAP will contact that special activities director and say, hey, we want to do a workshop at your facility we have a, a, a review coming up and submissions are open. They will email or fax in flyers that will get posted up and prisoners will write to PCAP directly. As far as the writing goes, they will submit requests to the special activity director to become a part of a workshop. This, this is how it works on a practical level. So this is how we as prisoners find out about PCAP and also through books 
and the art review because facilitators come through and pick up art from every prison that people have art at. Um, whenever you get, whenever you are published in the literary review, you are mailed a book, a copy of the book. So as a prisoner, you have your own copy of your published work inside a book to be proud of. And so you tend to see that and pass that along like, yeah, look at what I did. Or you know so-and-so who's in there, look at what he wrote. Um, so as a, from a prisoner's perspective, that's how you find out about it. From my perspective, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted because I've never seen review <laughs> books before. They're beautiful and, uh, and amazing. So this is my first time seeing them. Uh, <laughs> Um, from so as far as the programming, so I don't. I'm not sure when the reentry program started. Well, oh, the, oh, the reentry program yeah. specifically. Yeah, well, well, the reentry program was put I together mean, because you have so many uh, prisoners who are active in workshops while incarcerated, but when they come home, right. they are no longer capable of being in workshops. Right? They can't go back into prison as volunteers. So the idea was you have what's called the linkage project that PCAP actually extends, which helps. It's a, it's a, a larger supportive community that helps prisoners first. That's how I got the job I have now, was mm -hmm. through the linkage project of someone who told me about Detroit Street filling station up in here that was hiring. They contacted them. They said, hey, you want a job? And that job led to another job through this, these kind of interconnecting um, relationships. And that's what the linkage project does. So that's what PCAP does outside of your immediate incarceration. And the reentry project is simply one of the formal sittings that you will have that attends every weekly. But it's an open, open community. And part of uh, what is – so I, I participated in the reentry re program in the fall, and there were other uh, – I got the opportunity, even though I'm not a student at University of Michigan, to audit Ashley Lucas's theater and incarceration class. And so a few of my classmates were the facilitators for the reentry uh, workshop for this past semester. And, you know, it is, it is a challenge because not everyone's in Ann Arbor when they get released from right. prison. So there's uh -huh. a challenge of transportation, of getting folks in one place. Um, and they face that challenge a lot more than we did in the fall. And so what they ended up doing was hosting kind of a, a culminating event surrounding uh, Ashley Lucas's uh, play that she wrote about families who are impacted by incarceration. It's her one-woman show uh, that she's performed for uh, several years. And so they hosted a reentry workshop, and they incorporated art and also incorporated uh, skill-building activities for how to tell your story and um, in the context of how does someone who was, who was incarcerated tell their story in the context of a job interview, in the context mm -hmm. of, in, in this case, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the panel. Um, so reentry um, has, I guess, a unique uh, challenge and beauty of, of having weekly art creation, but then also how to incorporate those practical skills that are that are needed to be, you know, practiced and developed and redeveloped, um, so that integrating back in can can be uh, productive. And so reentry is, you know, that's one, I guess arm or path of PCAP, and then throughout the semesters there will be uh, multiple workshops, arts workshops in men and women prisons and psychiatric centers, so there's photos, photography, there's visual art, music, theater, creative writing, and just usually the, a workshop will specifically, primarily, like, address that one art form, but then, you know, facilitators could also incorporate other art forms based on the skill set. As for volunteers, um, so anyone who does who is a facilitator in PCAP 
have to um, attend a training, and they have to attend that training every semester that they are facilitators. So the trainings happen at the beginning of the fall semester, at the beginning of the winter semester. It's pretty much a day long where you learn about PCAP, you learn about the structure of, of a workshop. They have a specific um, a training guide that shows the trajectory of a PCAP workshop, you know, starting with introductory activities, Started with get, getting to know each other games and then moving into you know developing that final performance because each workshop is about presenting some sort of final completed project performance or piece. Um, so the training is is mandated for each volunteer, and then a lot of the students will take the class while they are volunteering, uh, but it is not required. So in the class. They're reading material um, about other artists who have done work in prisons. They're reading plays um, about folks in prison. So everything is is surrounded by every all of the material that they're reading is connected to the work that they're doing weekly. So the students are getting this very, I mean, comprehensive uh, and holistic uh, academic and also experiential learning experience of working in a in a facility. And so. Um, for folks who aren't students and are in the class, they attend bi-weekly meetings with the Prison Creative Arts Project kind of student organization. So it's also a student organization. So it's an office, it's a student organization, and it's so it is, so basically, no matter what your I guess identity is within PCAP, you will have some sort of regular correspondence with folks who um, who have done PCAP, so you can continue to learn and debrief. Mm -hmm process as you're going through the process because for, for, for us it's also you know we're awakening to new things we're learning about society new relationships it's very emotional me and my two co-facilitators were definitely emotional as we you know left our guys as we mm -hmm. call them so we're going through our own growth and awakening process as well so whether you're a student or a volunteer there is a there is a I guess a set structure in a way that you will regularly have the support of the PCAP organization as you uh, facilitate. So no facilitator is ever just alone going into prison every week and, you know, and, not, and mm -hmm. not sort of place to get feedback or perspective. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the perspective. That okay, way. well, we're going to take our second break here, and we will be right back. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Cece Reed and Cozine Welsh. We'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. So, Cozine, have you have you graduated and gotten your degree in business already? 
Or are you yeah, I did that while I was incarcerated. With uh, I did that uh-huh. with um, Ashworth University out of Georgia. Uh huh. I'm going to Washington uh, Community College right now. Mm-hmm. And that the plan is to transfer to the University of Michigan and pursue my uh, MFA in poetry. All right, all right. Um, are you? You know, you've been to the program. You're you're publishing. You know, you were all very involved while you were in. Now you're out, and you know, although you're getting your MFA, how has that experience, that experience of writing, besides clearly, you know, you're working on your MFA. I mean, how has that experience touched you? And what do you feel that you can give back to others who are incarcerated, who are looking at that, who are finding their voice, either through this the Prison Creative Arts Project or, you know, what other ways do you feel that it has touched you where you can go back and, and reach back and pull the next cuisine along and say, come on, you know, you can do this? I think there's two main things. There's um, validation of importance and existence and the realization of commonality because we tend to segregate ourselves and each other so frequently that we fail to realize we're all human beings and that, any emotion or feeling or leaning you may have has been experienced by someone who looks nothing like you, who is not your gender, who is on the opposite side of the globe. But the fact that they are, too, a human being means you have a common base from which you can, be, you can reach out to them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I often find that it seems as if my journey leads me to always reminding people of that commonality because it does two things. It allows you to get closer to someone you may not have done before and learn something, but it also kind of gives you your own sense of self-confidence, right? Because if you are a marginalized individual and this group of people who are the non-marginalized, if you realize, like, wait a minute, they're no smarter than I am, right? Mm-hmm. I remember having moments in a workshop, and here's a college student, right? And I automatically assume because they're a college student, they are just whip smart, Right? Not to say that they are not, but you would assume. And you realize, like, well, they're just a human being like me. Huh. It's just different conditions and situations and circumstances that they were privileged to have, to grow up in, and to experience that allowed them to take a trajectory that was different from my own. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that trajectory is no longer for me, because once I realize that and can see that commonality, I start seeing ways in which to attain it for myself. So I really feel like that's what a lot of my, every time I talk to young people, every time I talk to people in general, a lot of it is focused around finding that commonality so that you can find that inner voice and you can find that interconnectedness and move forward. Do you ever find, like, are you concerned about being put in that box? You know, it's like, oh, here's Cousine. Cousine was incarcerated. Tell us about that. You know, do you ever... Do you ever worry about always, you know, that is a part of your journey, but that's not your whole journey? So do you ever worry about or have you experienced that where people want to put you in a box from that one, one segment of your life? I mean, of course. And, I, and, and, I, and that goes for any creative person or any person in general when you're meeting people who have a preconceived notion of who you are right? They see you according to how they met you and expect you to fit there. 
um, for instance, with the literary review, there's always this, this constant attention to making sure that we aren't just putting out prison writing, right? That mm-hmm. every poem or every short story isn't about some, it's not feeding some pimping, we call it, a friend of mine, we call it pimping your trauma. Right? <laughs> I like that. Mm-hmm. Right, we try to make it a point to where there is no pimping of the trauma, but instead there is a real expression and acceptance mm-hmm. geared towards healing that trauma. Um, so, yeah, of course I worry about that. Uh, Cece and I were talking earlier about this idea that, cause, you know, because I was 17 when I was in incarcerated, I'm 38 now. And so that was a substantial amount of time I spent in prison. And even though I'm out now and things seem, yeah, you're out, that is a part of my life that will never be shook. It will always seep into everything I do, everything that is a part of me, every part of me that is known by people who just meet me. And that's just an unfortunate circumstance of the reality, right? doesn't mean it has to be a negative one, though, right? And I think that's where the trick comes in because we're, we're trained in society to have this, this uh, perception of what it means to be a prisoner or to be formally incarcerated. And I'm going to have to deal with that. Anyone who is and decides they want to be a, 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 they want to be an, a, a, a machine for social change and justice is going to have to deal with that and accept it and use it as strength as opposed to a deterrent. And that's the hard part. But it's, the part, it's one of the most necessary parts because you have to accept that, that I went to prison. I did something that was wrong when I was 17 years old. And that does not negate what was done. But what happens now is that I'm 38 years old. I've grown. We are no longer the same people yesterday that we are today than we were 20 years ago. So, um, but that stigma is going to be there, and some people like CeCe are going to get past it, and some people aren't. But it's for those who have it themselves and need to get past it themselves that the work is done, if that makes sense. Well, it's really clear, I mean, just listening to you, that you are defining your narrative. You know, you're not letting someone else, you know, look at, you know, statistics or bullet points, and they define your, you're defining your narrative as to who you are, uh, your journey, and where you're headed, you know, and the potential of all of it and what you're going to give back. And I think that often that's the difference between people who will say, well, hey, he didn't do well in third grade, and so he ended up in prison and, you know, forget about it, as opposed to someone who, you know, like you said, you don't negate, you don't say, oh, that didn't happen. No, you claim your narrative, you're defining it, and then you're moving forward. Right. And, Michelle, I wanted to uh, speak on an experience that I don't even think I've I've shared with Cozine yet, but someone that we mutually know um, who, um, through knowing my friendship with Cozine, you know, knew that he was incarcerated and asked me, this person asked me if I ever asked Cozine what he did to be incarcerated. And, I, I mean, kind of almost immediately I was like, no, I wouldn't ask that. And my approach, um, really my general approach to being friends with folks who walk different paths than me in terms of race, gender, sexuality, but specifically what what I learned from being being friends with someone who was incarcerated is that listening, going back to that listening that I spoke on in terms of he's going to decide what that story is going to sound like and look like in the scope of our friendship. 
Um, he may never share it. He will. He he may want to share. He may, and so this idea, the idea that this person was, I I didn't. It almost sounded as if they assumed that I would ask. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, well, you know, they're incarcerated. Why would you ask? But it it has removing myself as the center of that of I guess of that of that question. And I think that is something very important. I think to do when you're close to someone who was incarcerated is give them the space to to speak their story in the way that they want to. But cause, you know, sometimes prompting a question is more so about the person asking the question than it is about the person who's giving the answer. And that mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of groups who are in places of privilege, especially what I see of a lot of white peers, you know, need to learn is that even ask a question could sometimes be harmful um, because you wanting to know something, it may not be the time to know it, and you, it may not be your business to know it at all. Mm-hmm. It may sound like the perception of that individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to uh, include that, you know, into the in terms of, yeah, that's something I've learned, and I, I, I mean, I, I guess I have to think listening to myself. I think something Emmy told me is, you know, I don't need to. I don't need to know until he decides that I'm. I I need to hear it, or I and, and respecting what that process looks like. And, exactly. And, your and, need to know is 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 that it? That's your issue. You know, when exactly. he wants his, it's not your need to know. Is not his need to share. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> ah, yeah, but I know, you know, that's how people will go. So, uh, Cece, so yeah. well, where? I mean, you've done, you've done the project several times. Where are you headed? What's so, next? I finished my uh, job here as executive intern for Arts Engine and A2RU on May fourth. And on May 8th, I will be moving back home to the D.C. area where I will be uh, reengaging with my my role here on this earth as an artist, which I've missed. Um, <laughs> and so I'll be teaching theater to youth, which is something I love to do. I'm teaching at a, an arts camp at Sitar Arts Center. I'll be teaching drama. I'll be an acting coach for a musical as well as teaching a three-week spoken word intensive. And I'm going back. I have uh, jobs house managing professionally, uh, acting. Um, and so I'm going back to my art form. And luckily, uh, the universe is, is has conspired in my favor because my good friend uh, Lori Pitts just created a program called Voices Unbarred where she's going into prisons and creating, using her, her artistry and her education background to create a uh, theater workshop for folks who are in prison. And she is hiring me to be a part of Voices Unbarred. So I luckily get to take everything that I've learned from PCAP and apply it. Because unfortunately, there's not a, a ton of this work in the D.C. area. And uh, me and my friend Lori chatted on the phone about that. She's very excited to hear what I've learned from being in Michigan and that we want to see more social justice arts on a larger scale in the D.C. area. There are many individual folks who are doing this work and doing it well. And so we want to see it. You know, we want to see a PCAT type, you know, structure in the D.C. area. So I'll be facilitating a theater workshop weekly with Voices of Bars, 
teaching and acting, and that's what's next for me in terms of um, what going back home is going to look like. And um, luckily, with the support of family and the, uh, the support of PCAP, I'll actually be traveling with PCAP to uh Brazil. They do a weekly, a weekly, uh, um, yearly trip to Brazil where they collaborate with artists who perform in hospitals, who perform in um, favelas, which are their, uh, which are very impoverished communities that are um, neglected uh, by, by the local governments. Um, so marginalized communities. So we'll be, I'll be doing theater in a prison there, and I'll also be performing for the first time, my solo play called Rock, Paper, Scissors, which explores my identity as a black queer woman. So my journey is about to take off in ways that I probably can't even imagine. And a lot of it is, you know, it's because of PCAP and it's because of the friendships and the opportunity to create art with folks who are different than me and find that realization of commonality, mm-hmm. as Cozine so eloquently said. So I'm excited for all the knowns and unknowns of what this artist, social change activist journey is about to be. <laughs> so we've got a lot coming up. As you, as you two are both like going into another phase, do you see later on somewhere in the universe you two collaborating? I do. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think I've actually mentioned. I think I mentioned it to him in the fall. I was like, we gotta create something together. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. gotta create something together. She said it in passing. She didn't say it with much conviction. Because <laughs> <laughs> when we both realized that we both rap, and I was like, well, we gotta. Because I, I'm a. So I also write poetry. Do I do spoken word, and so I'm not. I'm not a rapper, but I know how to transform my poetry into rap. So I'm always looking for opportunities to get better at. Creating raps, <laughs> creating them. So I definitely, I mean, yeah, definitely. And learning more about him in this um, opportunity to interview with you, I definitely has it has two hundred percent solidified that our journeys will will definitely come come together again at some point. And myself, I'm actually interested in theater. When I was, you know, I don't want to be that kid that said, "When I was in school." Eh? <laughs> when I was in school, I actually. With, I was fortunate enough to have, and this is a, another. This speaks more to to PCAP and what it means to have supportive people around you, because when I was younger, I actually got a scholarship to Blue Lakes Fine Arts Camp for for a summer, only because someone saw my poetry and believed in me enough to fill out an application for me. So, so yeah, I like this. So yeah, Cece's gonna get yeah. me on that stage. I mean, yes, and that, and I, and I, I mean. Y'all can hold me accountable to it. I I have had dreams of starting my own theater company since probably junior senior year of undergrad. So that, and that's partly why I moved here to Michigan and took this desk job because I'm cultivating. I'm not only cultivating skills as a performer, but I'm cultivating skills as someone who I see myself as leading an organization. You know, similar to leading that space for Black queer stories. So knowing that my trajectory is to lead and to mobilize and to gather people, I got not only do what I love and be on stage, but I got to get those practical skills, you know, grant writing and data collection, you know, <laughs> things that aren't necessarily always the most exciting, but the things that I'm going to make, whatever I create, have a strong foundation. So, I mean, wherever I go next city in the world, I know having this conversation with you both, the theater that I want to create, yeah, I want to, I want to, 
as as his friend and as a co-creator uh, support space for him to keep telling his story in a creative way. So if I got a theater company, and it's, it's like, yeah, Cozy's getting a call, and we're creating a show, <laughs> and, we're, and it's happening. So y'all can hold me accountable at some point. <laughs> That's oh, okay. well, well, we will do that. And, you know, Cozy, you know, I get up there to Ann Arbor, and you and I will stay in touch because there's Please. so much about poetry and and there's so many things that, you know, that we are going to connect on and continue to talk to and to break down these barriers and to talk about how it brings us all together. And there's so many people who I know who are in the poetry community locally and nationally that I want to make sure that you are connected with because it's all one big universe and it's all different kind of stories that you bring to. And like you said, you can write a story about your experience that someone from a totally different point of view will read and go like, wow, that's me. And maybe they didn't have the words to express that. So, you know, now you got, you got me and CC both watching over you. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you both for being with me today and sharing your stories. Um, I know that sooner or later I will be talking to Cece again to hear about what she's doing down in the D.C. area, and I'll be talking with you, Cozine, if not collaborating with you on poetry because I'm here, which sort of, but to do open mics and bring poets together. Um, I was talking to someone who does a salon, a monthly poetry salon there in Brooklyn, but I see us doing something like that in Michigan. I love my poets, brothers and sisters, so I will definitely be in touch. But I want to thank you both again. Uh, Cece, if I don't see you before you head that way, safe travels, and I'll let you know when I'm coming that way so we can hang. Thank you. Yes, of course. Anytime. Thank you for this opportunity. We we so 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 appreciate this. Thank you. Cozy. Thank you too. All right, well you guys have a good night and I want to thank today's guest, Cece Reed and Cozine Welsh Jr. for sharing their stories and experiences working with University of Michigan's Prison Creative Arts Project. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual Living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. <laughs>